Today's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use promo code FILMCAST35 to save $35 off your first week of deliveries. That's HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FILMCAST35 to save $35 off your first week of deliveries. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devendra Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. What we do here on this podcast is we generally talk about what we've been watching, we move on into some film news discussion, which you can find at SlashFilm.com, and then we conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Rings. Rings. Rings! A movie that no one asked for, no one wanted to see, but... Here we are talking about it. Uh, I am looking forward to chatting about how good or bad this movie was with you guys later on in the episode. Um, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, but let's dive right into it today. Let's dive into what we've been watching. Jeff Kanata, hit us with what you've been watching. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about Lego Batman, you guys. Um, I, I don't know if you remember, but Le- the Lego movie was my number one movie of the year that year. What, two mm-hmm. years ago that it came out? Um, I adore that movie. I just found it to be uh, highly unlikely that they could actually turn that IP into something as wonderful and heartwarming and, and fun as that movie is. Uh, and I was a little, honestly, a little skeptical that they could pull the trick off again and, uh, you know, manage to make a whole movie just about Lego Batman and, and you know, recapture that magic formula. But, man, it is just as good. Well, I don't know. It's not just as good, but it's real close. Um, and one of the most fun experiences I've had in a long time, it's really the movie I needed right now. It is. It works on such a wonderful meta level. I mean, it's making fun. the fact that WB and Warner Brothers allowed them to have such free reign with their IP and make fun of it and be self-referential and self-deprecating and ridiculous and turn Batman into this really flawed, weird, funny character. It, it's so refreshing to see it. It's very honestly, you know, there's a sequence right at the beginning. Uh, and I found myself thinking, I, I don't know if the, this – I want like a little kid to have this be his first Batman experience, <laughs> right? Because it's so meta. It's so like, – it takes the Batman character and just, just subverts, subverts it completely uh, and is making fun of the idea of being Batman, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost, it's almost so cynical and – not cynical. It's um, – what's the word? It's wry, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and I kind of feel like I want a kid to have a a pure, a pure you know, right. Like like Batman is a noble character yeah. in theory, right? Yeah. Right. So Batman yeah. begins. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At, Batman at begins this, should be the first experience that any kid has. <laughs> Well, your son should watch Batman Begins when he's five years old, Jeff. It's it's just funny what you're asking, Jeff, because you're asking the pure story of a guy whose parents are killed and uh, who goes hell bent on revenge uh, to beat up people outside of the law. That's the uh, that's what you want to introduce your kids to. I love you, Jeff. 
Well, maybe. Uh, you know, the idea that he's he's has a call to good. Right, right. This is the internet generation. Everyone gets famous uh, version of Batman, right? This is Batman for fame. The, the idea, at least at the beginning of the movie, is is Batman is a rock star, almost literally in this movie. Um, and in the you know in in a era where I see my nephews and the thing that they want to be most in the world is you know on YouTube, right? It's almost like ah, oh, I don't know if this is a <laughs> this is a, a kids movie because it's because it's making fun of all that, but by holding it up on a pedestal, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think kids get the irony. Um, but it's still delightful. I mean, I had these these reservations at the beginning, but the movie really finds such heart and such a wonderful new take on the Batman mythos. How do you, you know, 60, 70 years into Batman stories, how do you find a new take? Uh, they somehow managed to carve out a wonderful version of, of Batman that finds um, a really heartfelt, beautiful uh, message to be mined from that, all the while being uproariously funny. I mean, I was laughing my butt off in this movie. And, you know, half the jokes are making fun of other Batman movies or the things we know uh, about the franchise. It's great. It's I highly, highly recommend it to adults. Uh, it is, you know, an ironic, wonderful, smart, funny look at at Batman and pop culture in general. All right. Well, that's Lego Batman. It'll be out in theaters this week. Uh, mm-hmm. I am going to check it out right after I record this. I'm actually running to the theater to get to a screening on time. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it as well. Uh, but yeah, Lego Batman sounds like it's super meta. And, and you know, Jeff, I, I don't know if you're not giving kids enough credit. But I guess I would say that when when I watch stuff as a kid, that like it, stuff that's funny is still funny, even if you don't get the underlying meta aspects of it. So as an example... I remember watching like the Naked Gun movies when I was a kid, right? I had no idea what they were pa- parodying, right? Like, right. I-, I didn't understand that there was this whole genre of cop shows or movies that this was kind of making fun of. Uh, but I still found them to be hilarious. And I don't know. I think kids could probably watch this and that would be your f- their first exposure. And then later on when they're you know 12 or whatever, they'll, they'll have yeah. this like moment. It clicks in their mind of, oh, now I get it. Um, no, I get it. Yeah. It's not. It's not the the humor that I'm, I fear is lost on them. It's more this idea of what a hero is, and um, and yeah. I don't know. There, there was just like a, a take on. It. It'll be interesting to see what you think after you see it. But that there's a the very first sequence in the movie, like of what Batman is at the beginning. He's just like the coolest guy in the room, and. <laughs> I just think that's that's such a problem. Yeah. That kind of role model is such a problem these days. <laughs> well, good Fair thing, enough. Jeff, we have all these live-action DC movies to uh, oh, really, yeah. it really yeah, balances it out. Home. Yeah, the yeah. heroism well, that's another. You bring up a great point. That's another thing that I came away thinking is uh, this vibrant, colorful, jolly, happy DC universe that we see in this movie is – is really fun a fun place to be, you know, and all the all the DC superheroes show up at one point in the movie and it's you know, it's like, oh, I wish we could like this is have, an alternate universe kind yeah, of of, yeah. of, of, of happiness. <laughs> uh well that's Lego Batman. That's what Jeff's been watching this week. Uh I just want to mention a couple things. Firstly, I had a goal this year, which was I wanted to submit a film into the Seattle International Film Festival. It is a very modest goal. You know, it's not like a 
a grand goal to direct a, a blockbuster film or something like that. I just was like, I, I want to make a short documentary submitted to the Seattle International Film Festival, which is one of the later film festivals, so their deadline is uh, a little bit later than, than other festivals. And, uh, and I did that. I, I put something together pretty rapidly in the last couple of weeks and, uh, and submitted it uh, this past week. But as I was – so I'm going to talk more about that you know, later on in, in later episodes of the podcast. Uh, but uh, while I was doing that, I started going through Vimeo staff picks and just mm-hmm. watching uh, you know, dozens of short films just to kind of get myself into the mode of like what is it that at least the Vimeo staff picks crew considers to be good, good narrative, good you know, documentary short films. And one of the ones I found was this – uh, short film that I've watched maybe five or six times. It is it has been funny every single time. I'm still finding new things, new details in it uh, to laugh at. Uh, and that short film is called No Other Way to Say It. You can find it online. We'll link to it in the show notes. But it, it's very simple. It's a six-minute short film, and it's basically about uh, a, a voiceover session, just a, a woman recording a voiceover session for a commercial. And it is so spot on in how it captures the dynamic between every single person uh, in that voiceover room. There's the person, yeah. the 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 talent who's trying so hard to uh, to be, you know, cheerful and upbeat. There is the people giving direction who often have no idea what the hell they're doing, and then there's the sound guy who no one gives a crap about their opinion, and they just need to be patient and do their job. Like it is very very good. I sent it to Jeff Kanata. Jeff, you watched it as well, right? I did, uh, as somebody that has worked in VO and specifically on commercials of in VO, uh, this is, you know, the best kind of comedy comes from truth and this just nails it from a place of truth. You know, you just, I have been in that exact situation with those exact people <laughs> Yep, yep. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's so right on. It's a bunch of people who don't know what they want, <laughs> trying to convey in words that don't make any sense to a person who's just trying to do it right, you know, like all you want to do is just give them exactly what they want, but they can't communicate what they want. Right? Uh, man, it is. Uh, it's it's really funny and, and spot on. Yeah. So we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, check it out. It's just a few minutes. Anyway, so I watched a couple of other films as well that uh, I had heard about that had made many critics top ten lists. Uh, but that I hadn't had a chance to watch last year. Uh, did you guys hear about these movies? Tony Erdman and mm-hmm. Camera Person? Oh, man. I've been dying to see Tony Erdman. How did yeah. you see it? Uh, I had a, a screening. It's opening in Seattle this weekend, uh, actually. But uh, Yeah, I have to say, no offense to that movie and everybody involved, but every time I hear about it, it sounds like something from 30 Rock, you know, like a prestige movie, like Tony Erdemann, right? Right? What's it about? I don't know. I can't it, believe that movie is actually real. That's it's, the, it's the rural juror of, yeah. uh, of the foreign press circuit for award uh-huh. season this year. Uh, yeah, I think Tony Erdemann was nominated for, for Best Foreign Film. Uh, let me start with Camera Person, because that is a movie that uh, anyone can watch right now. Um, so Camera Person is available on Amazon uh, Prime Instant Viewing right now. So if you have an Amazon Prime account, you can check it out there. I'll read the plot summary right now. Cinematographer Kirsten Johnson exposes her many years behind the camera through a memoir made up of decades of footage shot all over the world. And this is essentially an assemblage of uh, 
pieces of documentary footage that the cinematographer has shot over the past couple. She's been doing documentaries for uh, over two decades, and she shot a bunch of footage that either ended up in movies or didn't end up in movies, and she still had the footage. And the way she set it up is that this is kind of her memoir, right? This is the things that she's experienced, the, the things in life that she's gone through. It reminded me a lot of Richard Linklater's Boyhood, which I think is a movie that both of you guys loved, right? Um, So Boyhood is a a movie that I respected the accomplishment of Boyhood, but that was not a movie I was crazy about. I don't think it made my top ten of that year, uh, as far as I recall. Uh, But one insight that I really loved about Boyhood, and I was reading about this in an interview that Richard Linklater gave after the fact, is he was saying how what you remember, or, or you know, to quote another person that I know who talks about this, like your, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky once said, uh, you don't choose your memories, your memories choose you. Right? You don't have control over what it is you remember. Um, and Richard Linklater in Boyhood, he's talking about why did he choose that series of scenes for that movie? And he's saying how w- when you think back on life, you don't remember really the big moments. You remember the incidental moments to the big moments. You don't remember the graduation. You remember the car ride home from the graduation. That's a quote I've thought about a lot since I read it and saw that movie. You don't remember the graduation. You remember the car ride home from the graduation. And, and in fact, in Boyhood, they don't show the graduation. They show the car ride home. And there is something very profound to this idea. that It's, it's these little moments that are more impactful, that shape you more than the big moments, than the showy moments, than the flashy moments. And that's what I think this movie does a really good job of capturing. Camera person does. Uh, it, it's all these kind of weird little moments that, um, you know, by themselves, it's kind of like, well, I'm not really clear why she chose that. But every single moment is impactful in its own way. Like you kind of understand, oh, I can see how witnessing this, recording this, being present for this would shape someone. Uh, this movie has a 99% Rotten Tomatoes. And a lot of people seem to love it. Many critics top ten lists. Uh, I did not love it myself. I found its uh, affectations to be a a little bit irritating by the end. Like I I, I kind of watching this whole like assemblage of random B roll footage. It's not it's not random. I mean, she obviously had a purpose for why she put it that way and assembled that way. But uh, watching this assemblage, it made me realize why I like watching regular movies, you know? Like, I like watching movies that actually uh, tell, or not even regular movies, regular documentaries that yeah. are really skillful at assembling uh, B-roll footage that tell a story that has a first act, a second act, a third act. You know, I'm I'm a simple guy with simple pleasures, guys. And so I, I, I kind of... Um, Appreciated what she's trying to do, and I still think this is a movie people should watch because it will expose you to people and lifestyles and places around the world that you will never otherwise go to. Um, but for me, it did not add up to more than the sum of its parts. Uh, I, I will acknowledge that, as with a movie like Patterson, like this is Dave Chen's opinion, and my opinion is is likely in the minority. Um, and you will probably love it, you know, and that's why I bring it up because you should check it out. Uh, but for me, it didn't quite work on the same level as it did for many of the other critics who, who ranked it on their top ten. Uh, I just thought that th- there was just enough kind of bizarre decisions and enough kind of things that I wish like, oh, I, she, she, you know, she shows like a, a story of like a midwife uh, in Africa who is helping someone to give birth, uh, helping women give birth. And it's like, wow, I really wish I had 
gotten more of that, more context. I wanted more context. Uh, and I know that's not the point of the movie, but it's it, that's just my own personal feeling about watching Camera Person. So uh, overall, worth checking out. Not exactly my cup of tea. I, it's also in the Criterion Collection. It's a very well-respected movie. Uh, I think you guys would probably like it. Since, hey. you, since you guys like Boyhood, you'll probably like this movie really uh, a lot as well. Uh, for me, it didn't quite do it, but yeah, still a lot to worth uh, make it worth recommending. So Camera Person on Amazon Prime Instant. Also wanted to just talk about Tony Erdman real quickly. This is a movie that is actually coming out in limited release soon, at least in Seattle. It'll be out in limited release, nominated for Best Foreign Film. Uh, I'm going to just read a very brief plot summary. A reluctant woman must spend time with her estranged father when he comes for a surprise visit. Uh, I, I'm going to be very, very sparse with the plot details, but have you guys ever had one of those visits where a family member or a friend comes over and hangs out with you and like everything goes wrong it is just like the most <laughs> unpleasant visit and you wish they weren't even there and by the end of it you're glad they're gone kind of thing sure uh, this movie opens with one such visit and it, it does a great job of capturing that and then i'm not going to reveal what happens after that but i thought this movie was uh, was pretty delightful you know it, it is so bizarre and cringeworthy and absurd uh, but there's also a lot of heart to it, and the way it captures this dynamic between this father and daughter is really something special that you don't quite see very much. I do think the movie is a little long. It's two hours and 40 minutes, and I, don't, I think it could have easily lost 30 minutes without much impact on the emotional, impact, uh, like, uh, on the emotional arc of the film. Uh, but overall, th- there's no other movie like this that's out right now, and I would recommend you check it out. So that's Tony Erdman. Uh, there's just so many like when you think back on this movie speaking of incidental moments there's just a dozen moments in this movie that I'm going to remember for a very long time because they're so wild and bizarre and uh, surprising that uh, yeah I, I think it's, it's definitely worth checking out and talking about so hope you guys have a chance to check out Tony Erdman it's going to be out in theaters very soon and finally wanted to just mention uh, that I watched the Super Bowl uh, this week and Jeff, I think you watched the Super Bowl, but you didn't watch the commercials. And That's Devindra, right. Devendra watched the commercials, but didn't watch the Super Bowl. I didn't watch the commercials. I just watched the trailers. That's so, all I cared about. All the just the trailers. So between you two, yeah. you guys basically watched one Super. You had one Super Bowl sure. experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then afterwards, I watched uh, Twenty Four Legacy, which uh, is back with Corey Hawkins in the lead role instead of Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, Jeff, this is a surreal experience. I saw, I saw the Super Bowl in a bar with a hundred people, and on Twitter, I was like refreshing Twitter furiously because everyone had a really <laughs> strong opinion on who was going to win. On one side, you have the Patriots, my hometown team, but who have people on there who support Trump, uh, who are supported. The, the Patriots are supported by Richard Spencer, a Nazi, the one who got punched and that went viral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he called them, you know, one of the whitest teams, and that's why he thought they were great. Then on the other side, you have the Atlanta Falcons, a very diverse group uh, from a city that kind of needs a win. Everyone on the internet was rooting for the Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it was an incredible game. Uh, and in the first ever Super Bowl overtime, the Patriots clinched it. it, it unbelievable, unbelievable <laughs> what happened. Uh, and then immediately after. 24 Legacy comes on, and in the opening scene of 24 Legacy, a suburban white family 
is murdered by Middle Eastern terrorists. Oh, uh, and it just like a lot of people are saying, oh, this this game is uh, symbolic. It, it, it's very similar to the election. You know, they were up, and there was an eighty percent chance they were going to win, and then all of a sudden, oh my god, complete reversal. And then you follow that up with uh, a twenty four legacy that's very worthy of the Trump era, uh, highly stoking of Islamophobia. It was just a crazy evening of television. Jeff, what do you think? <laughs> I like how you're uh, equating that, by the way, to uh, the Super Bowl and, uh, you know, family getting murdered. Well, it's just uh, – firstly, a lot of people felt like that, certainly. But it just – it was so stark, the the triumph of, you know, uh-huh. the, I guess, Trumpian mentality <laughs> in, in those two events. And again, the Super Bowl is not nearly as impactful or, you know, loaded with consequences as the election was. It's It's – Pretty no. inconsequential when it comes to the grand scheme of things, but it was still a, a wild viewing experience. It, it is two things. First, it, it is so unfortunate that these people have to claim <laughs> this team as their own, thereby making this team's victory a victory for neo-fascism. <laughs> it is so unfortunate because – I mean, that fueled my rooting for the Falcons, <laughs> and then it also fueled my heartbreak when they lost, and this, this you know, lasting image of, uh, you know, that impossible, impossible catch, juggling the ball, you know, inches from the turf, white hands grabbing the ball surrounded by three black men powerless to do anything about it. No symbolism there. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, why does everything have to be this, this political environment? It, it, what's really funny is that I saw, um, as the game was going on, I saw people like basically laying out this argument of like why, you know, they're reading against the Patriots. I wasn't fully aware of all of this. So it's a really thing. It's like, oh, okay. I, I guess we've decided the Falcons. Let's just going to go with this. Like, okay, I guess the internet got together at some point. Yep, it was no, like, that's hey basically guys, what happened. Do this. That being said, Jeff, even though the the symbolism was pretty loaded in that catch, damn, that was an amazing catch. It, was it? Yeah. Was it not spectacular? Oh, it's uh, unreal. I mean, uh, in that in, moment, in human, when that happened, I human. tweeted, "The Patriots are definitely going to win now." <laughs> the, when something like that happens in sports. There is – it's inevitable. There is a a magic that is happening that is beyond the realm of the possible. It's just like when the bulb just bounces the right way and just happens to – there is fate happening. And I don't know how to explain it, but over – time and time and time again, that's – it, the play might not be the play that wins it for them, but it's the play that shows that they're definitely going to win. Um, the second thing I want to say, though, is that uh, it, isn't it incredible that you know not all in the same calendar year, but in the same sort of seasonal year, one season of sports, every single major sport has had this happen where – uh, there has been a undeniable, overwhelming favorite that is wildly ahead. That seems like it is. They are going like to stati- win statistically. They're going to win, mm-hmm. right? And yet, they come back to you know the Cavaliers, the Chicago Cubs, now the Patriots. The presidential it, it, election. Presidential well, election. I, I, I think a the weird think- phenomenon. How is how is. <laughs> You have one of those happening in a year, <laughs> and and we all flip out and think that's an amazing. But 
in every sport and in, in it is there's some weird juju going on, man. It's it's uh, it's a strange confluence of events. Well, Jeff, I think uh-huh. the lesson from all this is don't root for anything. You know, but yeah, yeah. Be, be, uh, be cold and dead inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. retreat from uh, from all passion and and joy, and uh, then you'll be protected from the inevitable disappointment that you will feel. Yeah, uh, we are I, on I the same page. Before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I said this before, guys. I blame the Large Hadron Collider. Everything's been fucked up ever since we turned that thing on. <laughs> you, think, you think we just like uh, just go the, destroy it, guys? That's all we got to do. Darkest timeline. They, we darkest timeline. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, anyway, that's thoughts on Super Bowl and Twenty Four Legacy. I actually have another podcast, GenPopShow.com, where I dive into Twenty Four Legacy and uh, how problematic the uh, the opening episode was of that show. Uh, check it out there. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Devendra, you and I, we bonded over our love of 24. Yeah. It's uh, not great. Not great, the reboot of 24 this year. So seems like all the worst aspects of that show just boiled down again. Indeed. All right, Devendra, hit us with what you've been watching. Oh, yeah, a couple of things. I had my family over this weekend, so I showed them Arrival on Blu-ray. Uh, I, I'm lucky enough to have an early copy of that thing. I also have the 4K Blu-ray. So nice. that is a gorgeous-looking thing. Uh, just wanted to say, like, seeing this movie for a second time, it clicks even better. I think this is one of those rare movies that you really do have to watch a couple of times and it connects a lot better. Um, and shout out to the special features, which are just fantastic. Just uh, them talking about how the idea for, you know, this film came together, how Eric Heiser basically has been pushing for it forever. And, uh, yeah, just very interesting stuff, how they came up with the language. I didn't realize that Stephen Wolfram was involved, like the Mathematica and Wolfram Alpha guy. Um, all this stuff uh, that helped make this movie so great. So definitely worth checking out and picking up on Blu-ray. Cool. That's Arrival, uh, and it's out on video on demand right now. It'll be out on Blu-ray soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of special, special features, I had a chance to watch the Gone Girl commentary, which you can find uh, on the iTunes version of Gone Girl or on the Blu-ray. Uh, Devendra, I think you had listened to this, right? I think so. It was a while ago. And Jeff, you, we watched Gone Girl, right? Did we review Gone Girl together? I think so, right? I don't remember if, if that was – it predates us, but I, I adore that movie. I think it's amazing. Uh, you know, David Fincher always gives, gives great commentary, and this one is no different. Super insightful. If you want to learn a lot about filmmaking, uh, check out David Fincher's commentaries. I remember back in the day of DVD listening to his Fight Club commentary. Uh, and my favorite quote from the Gone Girl commentary, you guys know uh, – the character of Andy in the movie who uh, one of our main characters is having an affair with, played by Emily mm-hmm. Ratajkowski. Uh, favorite quote from the Gone Girl Blu-ray commentary, uh, quote from David Fincher, I like the idea of introducing Andy as this kind of werewolf that comes in the back door and just mauls him. It's obviously not something he resists very much. When we were looking for somebody to play Andy, it was imperative from my standpoint that we find somebody that could divide the audience immediately. <laughs> that you could literally take a broadsword and cut right down the center of the theater. Women are going to lean back in their chairs, be disgusted, cross their arms and go, he is a fucking prick. And men would put their chins on their hands, lean forward and say, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's kind of understandable. <laughs> uh, Emily Ratajkowski does that. She just has that ability. There's a part of you that says... I completely understand why he would make that mistake, but it is a horrible, horrible transgression, and it should be punished. End quote. Uh, so a lot of great quotes from that Blu-ray commentary and or in video on demand commentary. 
check it out. Uh, and also, Devendra, speaking of Arrival uh, mm-hmm. special features, I'd also recommend the uh, – what do you call it? Uh, the Q and A uh, podcast with Jeff Goldsmith. That, oh yes, uh, yes, Eric, I saw that. Eric Kaiser yeah, did uh, uh, for it. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you really get a sense of how, like, what an accomplishment it was to adapt that short story for the big screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm glad he's nominated for best adapted screenplay. Uh, I what just else? Uh, want to say real quick. Uh, when I said I adore that movie, I was thinking of Gone Baby Gone. <laughs> I have but you must adore Gone Girl too, right? I like Gone Girl quite a lot, but <laughs> I wouldn't use that word to describe it. It's an odd word. When you started talking about the character, I was like, oh, I was thinking of the wrong movie. You're yeah. referring to the child kidnapping movie, which you Yes, are. which I, I think is incredible. <laughs> yes, we did, we did review Gone Girl together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of the, the Gone movies are gone from my memory, it's evidently. Mm, nice. Uh, all right, Devendra, a couple other things, right? You've been also watching? checked out, yeah, NBC's Powerless. Not sure if you guys have heard of this show. Uh, it is set in the DC universe, and it is about Van Wayne. Van Wayne, guys. I, I believe he's Bruce Wayne's cousin, mm. uh, played by Alan Tudyk, who I love. I love him and everything. And he runs this company. Um, right now, it seems like they're just making products uh, to support, uh, to, to help. Uh, I think it's being sold as an insurance company. But they're also making like products to help people out uh, in the uh, in the world in a world where superheroes are out there fighting, and uh, it's really funny. It's a talk about like bright and shiny DC universe, right? It is a really funny take. Uh, like imagine you lived in a world where your city would get destroyed every day by superhero fights, right? Even the good guys, the good guys have to like damage some property to save lives. Um, it seems like a funny place to put an insurance company. Uh, this show is a lot of fun. Uh, just really like the cast. Vanessa Hudgens is a star is this young girl who's trying to lead the team and make new products uh, that could help people in the superhero world. And uh, Danny Pudi is back on NBC on this too. So he's a lot of fun to see. Uh, it's just really funny, great sense of humor. And uh, in a weird way, the show itself seems tired of uh, DC superheroes. Like nobody in the opening scene, right? They're just on the train and Vanessa Hudgens' character is very excited because there's a big superhero fight happening. And everyone else is just on their phone. Or reading newspapers like hey, you see this every day. That's like New York. It's a very New York moment. Uh, but I just I enjoy the tone of the show and where it's going. I just think it's hilarious that uh, we've even DC and Warner Brothers has reached the point where they're making fun of their own uh, morose properties. I guess. Hmm. All right, well, that's powerless. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard mostly negative reviews. Yeah, me this. too. It has, it has so, a, I enjoyed it. It's it fine. has a fifty-seven on Metacritic. Uh, but you know, Devendra, this is what I like about Devendra Hardwar, who, by the way, happy birthday uh, recently. Oh, yeah, Thank you. happy belated um, birthday. This is what I like about Devendra Hardwar. He's always try, you know, optimistic about where shows, TV shows are going, and and uh, you know, where I, whereas I would have quit Powerless probably ten minutes in. He's probably going to watch it all the way to the finale. It made me laugh, guys. That's all I'm saying. That's all he's looking for. That's all he's yeah. looking for. Uh, and what else have you been watching, Devendra? I also saw Sadako versus Kayako. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about this, but this is the Japanese movie where the ring ghost 
fights the Grudge Ghost. And, uh, <laughs> oh, they're that's doing exactly a Jason versus, versus Freddy? Very much. Very much just like that. Uh, this movie should be a lot of fun. Uh, I was really excited to see this, especially after how disappointing Rings was. And that's not quite there. I, th- I think it's a better and more enjoyable film than Rings, because we'll, we'll talk a bit about that later. Uh, but uh, when you hear that setup, right, you kind of think, okay, this is going to be campy. This is going to be a lot of fun. There's some of those elements, but half the movie also spends its time just being a ring movie and being a grudge movie so very similar scares at least it's scary at least there's some tension uh and there's some interesting concepts too like the big uh the big revelation here um because you have uh, two sets of characters uh one who's haunted uh who saw the ring video is now cursed by um sadako and somebody who's entered the crazy house from the grudge is now cursed by kadako and there's like a crazy anime-esque uh, medium who decides the only way to stop these curses is to get them to fight each other. So I, I like that concept. It's it's a decent amount of fun. I feel like it could have been a lot more campy. Uh, you could just watch the trailer for this movie and I think see the the best parts of it and the most fun parts. Uh, kind of, ha- I guess I'm just happy that this movie exists in a way. I just wish it were better. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Ring series, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, the Grid series, never as much. Uh, yeah, just kind of a fun experiment. I just wish they spent more time having more fun with this, uh, you know, with this whole setup. Yeah. Uh, well, sounds like it wasn't as fun as it could have been. That's Sayako versus Kataco. Is that Sadako right? Sayako versus Sa- Kayako. Uh, Sadako versus Kayako. Sorry, yeah. my bad. Um, and uh, how did you watch this movie, Devendra? Uh, that is, it's on. It's streaming right now. Uh, so on yeah, video, it's on iTunes. Yeah, gotcha. Sadako versus Kayako, the 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 ghost characters from The Ring and The Grudge, which you know that's that's a good concept. I can say that at least. Here's the thing: when you are facing off against uh, another ghost character, mm-hmm. uh, it, that can often take a lot of energy. You know. You need a lot of ghost energy. You yeah. need a lot of ghost energy. You need a lot of. You gotta run. You need stamina. Go, you need a lot of sustenance. You know. When I look at ghosts, like you know, I don't know, Slimer, for example, that guy eats really poorly. He's like shoves <laughs> hot dogs in his mouth, like by the dozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Jeff. That's healthy. For I remember ghosts. that from Ghostbusters. It's pretty disgusting. I yeah. mean, and to be fair, it's reflected in his physique. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Nobody they, wants to look like Slimer. They were realistic about it. Uh, well, if you don't want to look like Slimer, if you want to look like an awesome human being who's incredibly healthy, you got to use HelloFresh, uh, our sponsor for this week and one of the leading meal delivery kit services. Uh, HelloFresh makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Uh, and what they do is they send you a box full of ingredients that are fresh, and they have recipes that teach you very simply step-by-step how to make uh, a meal. Usually the meals are around 30 minutes, so it can be done super quick. Uh, Jeff Kanata, you recently made a HelloFresh meal, right? I did. I, I have to say, David, with absolutely no hyperbole that having meals delivered to my house so that I can cook them has straight up changed my life. It has made my life better, has brought my wife and I closer together. It makes us excited for cooking. It, it eliminates the things that stood in the way of me cooking more often, which is going to the store and figuring out what to cook. It takes care of those things. You don't have to 
you know, buy a whole bushel of, of basil or a whole, you know, a whole a dozen eggs if you only need one or you only need a few sprigs of basil. They send you only the amounts you need so you don't have any waste. It's perfect. And they, the meals are really good. Like you said, I literally just cooked a HelloFresh meal, which was um, uh, mozzarella crusted chicken. So easy. It was so easy. I was done in like 20 minutes, but I knew exactly what went into it. So, you know, there's not a bunch of crap that, that I'd get from a fast food place or even a restaurant. You don't know what, what they're putting into it. And I had the joy of cooking it myself, doing it quick and easy. I'm Because I do this, I've gotten better at chopping. I've gotten mm-hmm. more skilled and I feel like a, a real adult person. It's an awesome thing to be able to do that kind of stuff. Very cool. I love it. Um, well, if you want to get in on this, listeners, we have a special offer for you today. Go to HelloFresh.com and use promo code FILMCAST35. That's HelloFresh.com. Use promo code FILMCAST35. Get $35 off your first week of deliveries. That's HelloFresh.com, FilmCast35. And yeah, get meals delivered to your door, uh, all the ingredients you need, nothing more than that, and the recipes and know-how to create these meals in roughly 30 minutes. It's a great bonding activity. It's healthy. Uh, it smells good. I mean, and, and it makes you uh, look and feel a lot better than Slimer from Ghostbusters. So uh, for all those reasons, you should go to HelloFresh.com. Use promo code FILMCAST35 for $35 off your first week of deliveries. Hope you guys will check them out. HelloFresh is an awesome sponsor for us. Let's move on. And joining us today for our film news segment today, we got uh, editor-in-chief at SlashFilm.com, Peter Soretta. Peter, how are you doing? I am doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Always great to have you on the show. And uh, we're just gonna. This is gonna be like a very quick hit, a quick dose of Peter Serena today, uh, because something happened last week that we didn't talk about. We were, you know, so busy talking about uh, all the the film news last week that we didn't mention that the new Star Wars film uh, got a title, right? Star Wars: The Last Jedi. And you are probably one of the biggest Star Wars fans I know. And so uh, I thought we'd just have you on to, to see what your reaction was to that title. I mean, anything excites me about Star Wars, Dave. So it's not like um, that should be a surprise. I was, I was actually a little bit surprised because uh, the title, I expected it to be a bad guy focused title. Because of, uh, you know, if you, if you line up all the Maybe titles. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Mm. Yep, 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 yep. What'd you think? What do you think about that, oh, that Peter? That, that's actually a good theory. I, I haven't heard that. <laughs> Many theories going on about who is the last Jedi, but I think it's pretty obvious yeah. who it is. Well, um, but Jedi is the same plural and singular. Yeah, yeah. you, you so are it could correct. be this the last few Jedi. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. So, so Peter, you pointed out a few things in your article breaking this down. Uh, one of them is, yeah, like you said, uh, you, there's no – they're breaking the symmetry. The second um, in the trilogy is no longer uh, about, what, the Empire or, you know. Yeah, the Empire and also it usually is like um, a four-worded title. This is a different, you know, Empire Strikes Back or uh, – what is it? Attack uh, of the Clones. <laughs> Attack of the Clones, Clones right. yeah. Um, so forgettable, Dave. Um, but <laughs> – the the other thing worth pointing out is it's a you know the type, the Star Wars t- uh, logo treatment is red here, which has only done been done twice before with um, Revenge of the, Jedi, of the right? Sith and uh, Return of the Jedi when it was Revenge of the Jedi yeah yeah 
So, I, I mean, that could fit in with Jeff's theory that the Jedi are not good, but... Mm. <laughs> so, well, I, don't, I don't even know if it's that. I do wonder, because there have a lot of fan theories been flowing around, right? And, uh, I, yeah, if one of the people we consider to be a Jedi now ends up being a bad guy at the end of that movie, I, I, I hope we do see the Ray turning kind of plot line I've been thinking about. That I mean, if yeah. if you read the novelization for mm-hmm. Force Awakens, there is a lot more to it that you feel the dark side calling towards her, yeah, and yeah. you hear Snoke talking to her at the end when you know she's about to kill Kylo Ren. Um, and the music gets really dramatic at that point too. Like I, it, yeah. a lot of that felt purposeful, but so it was so short in the film, it was hard to read much into it. I would I would love that. That would be so ballsy. I think it would also like, be about Kylo Ren's redemption too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I should say I did a speculate a speculation article about this in May of last year, and um, it got a lot of comments. And I think about ten of them out of, out of two hundred and six comments, ten people actually, five or ten people got the Last Jedi. Mm. So it, it's not a not obvious title as well. So guys. Uh, I'm, I'm going to mention something that I probably shouldn't talk about on the Slash Filmcast, but I, I, you know, I, oh, I want to no. point. It, I need to point it out as the origin of this topic that I'm going to bring up. Uh-huh. Um, so, Red Letter Media is a YouTube channel that produces these incredibly lengthy reviews of Star Wars films and Star Trek films, and they're like definitely hardcore nerds. Um, they also stoke a lot of negative sentiment that I'm not uh, a fan of, but I actually think a lot of their observations are astute. They recently released a uh, video series called The Nerd Crew, which is a parody of film podcasts such as ours. You know, I I found The Nerd Crew to be pretty hilarious. I didn't find that it resembled us very much, but maybe that's just because I don't have a lot of self-awareness. Um, but, but one thing that they did point out, which I I thought was kind of interesting in the most recent episode of the nerd crew, of which there have been two, is that he was, they put up on screen, like they were drawing a contrast between the old logos, uh, a new hope empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. And then these new logos, the force awakens and, um, and the last Jedi, Uh, these new logos, are wait, 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 wait a second, Dave. Are you actually introducing into this <laughs> conversation a argument that was made on this parody podcast <laughs> as a a real topic of discussion? Yes, that is that is exactly what I'm doing. But okay. basically, if you look back at those logos from the original ones, uh, they they were inter- they were pretty interesting. You know, Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. They were like. They, they, each each title design was different in some way, and now it feels like uh, every logo is the same, right? It's just these massive Star Wars, and then in tiny font underneath it, uh, or in between them, is like the title of the film. Anyway, I just thought it was an interesting observation that I would not have made that is kind of a commentary in some ways on how corporatized, I guess, these new Star Wars films are. Am I reaching... Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Well, I do think that the fran- – I mean Star Wars sort of created the franchise, right? Yeah. The, and, and the franchise has become so much more powerful, more powerful than they could have possibly imagined. Mm. Um, Fully operational just, as it yes. were. Um, and 
I think that is uh, I think that is reflexive in the in the title. Like w- the most important thing is the franchise, and I don't think that existed when Empire Strikes Back came out. If you if you look at that logo, it's giant Empire Strikes Back and right. teeny little Star Wars uh, flanking it on either side, right? So, um, and, and, and then with the and then with the special editions, they added the episode title or episode numbers in there, and yeah. that is gone. Like, yeah, that's gone now too. It's just it's all Star Wars, and then oh by the way, the Last Jedi. You know, like that's what the, <laughs> that's what the logo. I mean. Says, I I yeah, I could also see why a parody podcast would bring up this uh, line of reasoning because it's like the most hipster argument ever. Well, so. well to be fair, they yeah. were bringing it up uh, as a <laughs> uh, like they were actually I, I think they thought it was actually a legitimate point that the logo has changed. But the, the characters on the nerd crew or whatever were saying uh, like the new they were like jokingly saying the new logos are actually better. You know what I mean? Uh, like they prefer the new logos because that's what Disney's putting out. Um, so, uh, so it wasn't like a parody of analyzing my. No, no, no. Matter. I think because I think they actually enjoy that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, like they actually thought that that's a, that's an interesting point to say that the logos are different. But they were also saying that a lot of the podcasters or video podcasters of today would just be like, "Wow, guys, the new logo is amazing!" You know, yeah. like that's what they were making fun see, of. See, Dave, I would say I've only seen one of these, and I would say that they aren't a parody of the Slash Filmcast because, in general, at least that one episode, it was kind of excitement about movies on a surface level. <laughs> And you guys are always trying to dig deeper. And this isn't me praising you guys, but like it's not looking at a film on a surface level and being, oh, this is so amazing because of, you know, the action. And, you know, I feel like you guys are always digging a lot deeper than that. Also, we're not cool enough to parody. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, no one gives a crap about us. I think it's really, it's really we're, we are so small that we weren't even on these guys' radar to parody, you know, most likely. So, um, but in any case, uh, wanted to, I, I thought that was an interesting point that I would not have noticed, and uh, it seems like you guys kind of agree uh, that the the logo treatment is definitely becoming more uniform as time goes on. And like you said, Peter, they have dropped the episode title. Like, what 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 do you think that is? Uh, I, I guess like Star Wars should be thought of. They want us to think of Star Wars as more of a continuum, right? Yeah. As well, opposed to like discrete units. Star Wars is forever. Yeah. I, and also, the, not the like. There's if you put a title down or a number, that makes you think you have to see the previous one to see. Right. This one. As opposed to hey, just yeah. go go to the theater see the new Star Wars. Right. It's Who cares what what number it is? Yeah, right? I've, I've had a lot of conversations with marketing people, and it, it, across the board, if you look at the last ten years, Dave, they've removed numbers from sequels, and um, I think it's actually going to be weird because I feel like in ten years or twenty years, <laughs> when people go back to like, okay, I'm going to go watch the Marvel Studios movies. Right. Which Avengers movie do I watch for? Like, what order do I watch them in? Like, you don't have any idea anymore. Um, <laughs> it will all just dissolve into an, an entertainment slurry in your brain, and you won't know which one to – like, is Age of Ultron first or is it second? You know, kind of thing. Well, that's yeah. how comic books have been for 20 years, you know? The, the, uh, and it's been I, horrible. I, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, not a good model, Jeff. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, you know, you issue one followed by issue two, and then you got to issue six hundred and seven hundred, and now nothing gets to issue six hundred and seven hundred. It's it's you know rebooting. It's a new issue number one every year and a half. And uh, yeah, I guess it's true. They are planning. They are playing the long game, right? They're they're planning for a naming structure that will be relevant in twenty years, right? Because yeah. in twenty years, you'll have Star Wars. What you know. 20, 
25 or 28, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? And, I don't and, think you – know, uh, Lucas originally you know, conceived of it as three trilogies, right? But Disney doesn't want three trilogies. Yeah. They, want, they want an infinite stream of, of Star Wars tales. So th- th- why limit themselves to episode whatever? You, you are just going to make the next Star Wars movie if you can. Right, you know? and, and also like it will. I, I think a movie that's like part twenty nine or part thirty three doesn't sound good. You know, it sounds like why is that thing still around? Right, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't sound appealing, and it sounds intimidating rather than inviting. So, right. well, I, I do think it is more of what Devendra was saying about uh, people uh, scaring off people that would uh, want to see the movie because it has a number at the end of it. But I, I, Star Wars will always have, I think, will always have the chapter numbers in the opening scroll. And I, while we're on title treatments, Dave, not to prolongate this, but uh, Rogue One, Star Wars is very small in that title, so uh, it should just mention that. Yeah, yeah, it's Point. true. But do you think, do you think, Peter, that after this trilogy of of Ray and Kylo movies is complete, after we have Episode Nine, don't you think that we're done with episode numbers? I don't think so. I, I, if, if you read a lot of the interviews from Kathleen Kennedy, who's in charge of Lucasfilm, she talks about these movies as the Skywalker saga. Right, uh, which will be done, I think. I think that will conclude. You think it will still conclude? be, And there will still be Star Warses. I, I, I agree there will be Star Warses, but I think – you know, it, 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 Jeff, I hope you're right. But um, I, I – You're going to learn about – Raise kids, and, and <laughs> you know, you think there's just going to be this family that continues odd, you know, off ad infinitum. I mean, why would they throw away this? Because it's this kind of story. untenable, right? It's like. <laughs> It's like it's just really this giant long sp- – it's like the Tudors or, you know, it's like uh, the, the – you know, it's, it's now we've become this weird royal family that we're following. Yeah. Um, You're breaking Peter's brain right now I think because he didn't consider the possibility that we might not be having Star Wars Skywalker films. I do think that after nine they might take a break but I think the Skywalker saga is the – you know, it, it is the big money of this franchise, and as much as well, they're going to the do standalone, backbone, yeah, it's certainly the backbone of the universe. Uh, there's no disputing that. But I think that when whatever happens to Luke happens to Luke at the end of Episode Nine, which I assume will be the end of his tale. Hey, uh, hey, Jeff, I'm going to break yeah. your brain. Luke <laughs> might not make it to Episode Nine. He might not. Oh snap! What, what, what if the Last Jedi is not only? A reference to Luke, but also a reference to Ray because Luke dies in episode eight. It's certainly, you know, it certainly um, could be, it, it certainly could be the case. But I do think that that, I just think it's weird if we then get like episode 10, Ray's got a family. <laughs> or what? It just feels weird that the Skywalker tale is. Is is a very specific thing, right? And it's not just like uh, we're all. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of speaking on the assumption that Ray is his kid, uh, which we don't know for sure. But <laughs> if, if if she is not, then it certainly is not the Skywalker tale because there ain't no more Skywalker. <laughs> well, no, no, there is Kylo Ren, right? Uh, yeah. Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Maybe it's Kylo Ren's family, Jeff. What do you think of that? Yeah, the Ren, the the, the Renaissance, the the do Ren Ren. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's going to be episode eight, the Renaissance. Yeah. But okay, okay. what would you guys, uh, Jeff? It sounds like you prefer they they branch out from the sky. Like you don't want the episode X to be about Skywalkers, right? It needs to be about more. You're saying. I think that's a stronger vision of this franchise, right? Is that you have this this tale that it happens in three parts, each part consisting of three films, and it tells this multi-generational tale. We don't know where it's heading right now, but I think it's going to lead to some conclusion about how the Skywalkers affected the universe, right? And that tale is done. If if it's just Skywalkers on and on and on, then it really becomes this weird thing about the royal bloodline you know it's this weird yeah. like um I, I don't know i just think that's uh, that's bizarre and and moreover i think what's more interesting from a from a fan standpoint is going okay now that that tale is done what else is going on in this universe where does that leave us who are these new where are these new corners of of interesting stuff happening you know what what other stories can we mine from this universe and and I think that Rogue One is a great example that the it's fertile ground for new kinds mm-hmm. of. Stories. I mean, obviously that takes place within the context of a Skywalker timeline, but yeah. But but here's the thing, Jeff: we're already going to get those kinds of stories. Yeah, you're it already going like to get. They're trying Rogue to do One. both, right? They're yeah. trying to do the well, big, the big epic Star Wars is, and then these smaller side stories, which will be very different. Well, what do we know that they're making so far? We know they're making Han Solo movie, uh-huh. and what else? No, nothing has been announced, but they were working on a they were working on a Boba Fett movie, is right? So we don't know if anything happening outside the context of the Skywalker era, mm. right? Yeah, and like I, even even Rogue One is like heavily attached yeah. to the Skywalker yeah. era. Yeah. What, what, what so, Jeff wants is a Knights of the Old Republic <laughs> franchise, no, not, necessarily, not necessarily. But I, I, yeah. I mean, I like the fact that Knights of the Old Republic had the balls to be its own right. thing, right? Yeah. And I don't. I don't necessarily want Knights of the Old Republic in the sense that I want them to go back in time and and use all that Bioware lore. I think it's interesting to 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 find out where we are after Episode Nine and and but then explore new stories, explore new in, in that in that era. You're saying it, it, it could be after Episode Nine. It could be a hundred years after Episode Nine. It could whatever whatever they do. It could, I think is more interesting to not just keep following the next Skywalker or. <laughs> You know, I just think it's more interesting that way. But. Jeff just like has a thing against Skywalkers. I think is really. I don't. No, I, no, I I'm, just, I'm just. I'm just joking. Jeff. Like, yeah. You know, I think we we went a weird way, obviously, in the prequels with Metaclorians and like having to be the chosen one and all that crap. And for me, growing up, the thing that struck me about Star Wars is it could be any of us, right? And yeah. and and stealing that away, and then having you know tying hamstringing the franchise to a specific family feels like the opposite of that that feeling also you know yeah so uh peter peter uh people in the chat room are freaking out a little bit that you might have spoiled episode eight with advanced knowledge but we can verify that no, 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 you, i have no you have no information that will actually <laughs> no information about yes. episode eight Peter doesn't know anything. This is just baseless total speculation. speculation. Total speculation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, the, you know, w- one area that we did kind of uh, get parodied by the nerd crew is we were able to talk about the title of the next Star Wars film for like twenty minutes. So uh, that, <laughs> this is what they want. That is our conversation. That is our conversation about the Last Jedi. Uh, but. 
wait, wait. Before we end this, yes. who do you guys think they are the last Jedi? Each of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean, sure there are walks of some sort. <laughs> uh, I think Ray and Luke. I'm going to put out Ray and Luke. Ray, Luke, and Kylo. Yeah. That's and what, Kylo. Yeah, those are but the last I, Jedi. The last I want people outside three the family. Jedi. The last yeah. three Jedi. Yep. The last three to six Jedi. The last twelve to fifteen. <laughs> the last like twenty to forty-eight Jedi. <laughs> what, what, what if uh, someone proposes on slash home? Um, what if Snoke is the last Jedi? He's an ancient being. He you know helped Kylo build this ancient saber. Um, what if he was like one of the first Jedi? You know, and he's now the last Jedi. My my. Co-host on We Have Concerns, Anthony Carboni, has a wonderful sticker on his laptop that says simply, your Snoke theory sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I will you, refer to his laptop. Oh, you think that theory you, you think that theory But Jeff, no, that, would, that, would think, fit, that would fit your whole theory of the Jedi being bad. I think I, – I thought my theory. I just <laughs> threw that out randomly. <laughs> I just was questioning your assumptions. It's not my like theory I've been working on. Maybe um, we need a new group or something. I would say – Jedi have been terrible, guys. <laughs> what have I they done? I would say the reason, the reason that, that I resonate with that sticker on my friend's laptop is that everybody just uses Snoke as a placeholder for question mark because Snoke is the biggest question mark in that movie. We don't know what he is, so anything is like, well, maybe it's Snoke because we don't know anything <laughs> about Snoke, right? So the, the, the funny thing is if the original trilogy came out today, we would be the same way about the Emperor. Yeah, that's uh-huh. And we never found out in that original trilogy where he came from or anything about him. Right. Then when we did, it was highly disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway... Those are our thoughts on, on The Last Jedi. And, and, Jeff, I don't think you ever answered Peter's question. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that it's either Ray or – I mean, it's probably Ray. It's either Ray or Luke or both. Or maybe it's Kylo. I mean, it, that's really the only three <laughs> candidates. I guess you could say yeah, Snoke. But there's no way it's Snoke because we clear, there's clearly other Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go with the, the, the clear uh, – you know, the opening scroll for a First Awakens calling – Luke Skywalker, The Last Jedi, and even Snoke in the movie calling Luke Skywalker The Last Jedi. So you so think I, it's just it's just Luke? That's I think it's think. just yeah. Luke. All right. We'll see. Peter, you've been right about things you predicted in the past. So <laughs> I, I'm, but, but, but I was so wrong about predicting the episode, episode 8 title, Dave. So what, what did you think the episode 8 title was? Oh, my God. What did I put here? Hold on. I have the article up here. Um, I think I theorized it could be... Uh, the First Order Strikes Back or Rise of the First Order. Wow. Th- these are basically based on pattern recognition. Those, those are horrible, Peter. Yeah, no, those are also pretty terrible titles, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I was going based on the previous. Yeah, not worse than Attack of the Clones. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's what are we doing against here? It's up yeah. there. It's up there. In terms of how bad it what is. If, uh, what if episode eight is all about The Last Jedi, but it, it, like, it does a swerve and it just jumps back in time and we just hang out with Luke on an island by himself for two hours? That would be amazing. Just like, the Last Jedi hangs out. That would be a very Ryan Johnson-esque touch. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right, all right so that's, that's our discussion of The Last Jedi. Uh, wanted to mention one other thing before we get to our review of uh, Rings today, and that is a bunch of uh, guilds held their awards uh, this week. The Directors Guild of America, the Americans Guild, the Thieves Guild, the, Amer- the Assassins Guild, 
the American Society of Cinematographers and the International Animated Film Society all had awards. Wanted to give a shout out to our colleague and friend Dan Trachtenberg, who was nominated uh, as like best first time director, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, did not win the award, but it's pretty amazing that he was nominated. Who did win the award was Garth Davis, who directed Lion. Um, he also won the the uh, best DGA award for first time feature. So first time feature, Lion. Lion was a movie that was basically totally off my radar until it was nominated for an Oscar. And then won these awards at the DGA. So I think I'm going to have to check it out before the Oscars. Uh, and mm-hmm. maybe we'll do a bonus episode on that. Uh, Damien Chazelle won DGA award for feature film. So it gives a uh, really nice preview as to what might happen at the Oscars this year. And uh, Ezra Edelman won uh, Best Documentary, OJ Made in America. So a lot of uh, great filmmakers and films honored at DGAs. In terms of uh, American Society of Cinematographers, uh, Lion also won for best cinematography for, uh, cinematography for a theatrical release, um, and then also in terms of animated awards at the uh, ASIFA, uh, Zootopia took it home for best animated feature, best directing, uh, and so it seems like Zootopia is probably the heavy favorite going into the Oscars this year. Um, so uh, the, it kind of gives you a little preview what's going to happen to the Oscars this year. La La Land, not on you know, uh, this list as much as I thought it would be, but you know, that's probably because there's just not as many awards that uh, it you know, has a chance to win like at the Oscars. But uh, it should be, should be pretty interesting. So uh, anyway, that's film news for this week. Find more film news at SlashFilm.com. Peter Shred, I think we're going to say goodbye to you now while we review Rings. Yes. I, I wanted to thank you all for participating in. We have this new feature on SlashFilm called Slash Answers, which every week we're answering a new question. Last week it was you know, favorite sports movie in honor of the Super Bowl. And uh, all, all of you guys participated. Everybody can go to SlashFilm.com and read that. Next week is going to be favorite action scene, which I'm sure way all harder. of you – Yeah. Well, I, I think Dave has already – he spent a lot of time already thinking about this <laughs> before I even asked him the question. Yes. Uh, for, That's a hard question. Certainly. It's a hard one, man. What did you guys uh, – let's just uh, run down what we said for best uh, sports movies. Um before we send off Peter here, uh, I chose Remember the Titans myself. Uh, how about you, Jeff? Uh, I picked The Natural, uh, but I had a hard time. Um, I thought for sure somebody was going to pick Rudy, so I didn't pick Rudy. <laughs> and I didn't pick Hoosiers, which was also a big contender. Uh, but all, I was really happy to see that Peter picked uh, another movie I would, I would have thought of, about picking, but I won't spoil his. You shouldn't hack. You shouldn't hack. Like, don't game theory out the list, Jeff. Just stand in your own truth. I think from now on. <laughs> no, man. I got You got I didn't want to double up somebody else's answer because we don't know who, what else other people are saying. In fact, I was very pleased nobody else picked The Natural because I, I, I love that movie. Um, but uh, I thought it was a possibility that somebody else would do it. I also was like, oh, I might pick Rocky, but I'm def- definitely somebody else going to pick Rocky. Somebody else did pick Rocky. Um, <laughs> Someone so, else picked Creed. Yeah, you guys just um, want to be special snowflakes, really, in your own choices, and that's cool. That's cool. But you know what? No matter what, I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose uh, hard boiled for best action scene, even if no one else does, or every, or everyone else does. <laughs> the way to spoil it, dude. I, I was thinking about what that one, Dave. I'm not gonna tell you what mine is. You'll have to read it on the site. But um, Peter Serretta, your favorite sports movie? My b- favorite sports movie was The Wrestler. Um, I was considering Hoop Dreams or Any Given Sunday. Um, and I like uh, the TV show Friday Night Lights, but um, you know, yeah, I, if it was TV, sh- if it was yeah. TV was in the mix, I would have done the, the entire run of Friday Night Lights for sure. Yeah, yep. 
But I, I, I grew up watching pro wrestling, and uh, Aronofsky's The Wrestler just captures that world, or at least you know the end of that world, the end of your career of that world, <laughs> in, in such a uh, grueling and dramatic uh, um, way. So, how about you, Devendra? Yeah. Favorite? Oh, choice I chose Shaolin Soccer because that movie was mm. made for me. Awesome Just movie, awesome choice. Love that movie as well. Uh, yeah, so check out that feature over at slashfilm.com. And uh, Peter Serrata, where else can people find your work on the internet? You can find me on twitter.com slash slash film. Do people even type in the URL anymore or do you just go to the username? I guess you go to the username slash film. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how people find us. <laughs> but they, that's one way they can find they, you. They mostly don't. Yeah. <laughs> as, we, as we explained earlier, no one gives a crap what we do here. So, um, All right, Peter, thanks for joining us. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, let's get to our review of Rings. Come on, we gotta get up. I keep thinking about this story. There's this video that kills you seven days after you watch it. The second it's over, the phone rings, and this boy says. That's when she's coming for me. You want to know about the girl in the well. What does she want from me? This mark on your hand. It says rebirth. That was from the trailer of Rings. I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet. A young woman becomes worried about her boyfriend when he explores a dark subculture surrounding a mysterious videotape said to kill the Watcher seven days after he's viewed it. She sacrifices herself to save her boyfriend and in doing so makes a horrifying discovery. There is a movie within the movie that no one has ever seen before. Oh, tons of spoilers in that. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know. That's like the first like 20 minutes of the movie, I think. No, it isn't. Yeah, that's like, no, that's like halfway through that's the, the movie. That's the end. That's uh, well. the whole big reveal. Is <laughs> all right, like, all right. Do you want me to do that movie. again? You want me to do that again? No, I don't care. I don't care. I'm just, I'm just surprised. <laughs> that is, yeah. It's just like, fuck this movie. We're not gonna, yeah, we're not gonna care about spoiling. This movie stars uh, Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz, who plays Julia, the main character, uh, Johnny Galecki as Gabriel, a college professor, and Vincent D'Onofrio sleepwalking his way through the role of Burke, uh, who is a creepy blind man that Julia meets. He's not uh, an important character at more, all. More than it's, halfway it's, through the film. No. Yeah, I mean, I guess I should, we should just warn you that we might drop some spoilers during this review. We're, yeah. We might not have the normal spoiler warning like usual because uh, we just don't give a crap enough this about this movie. This movie's not worth watching. Yeah. No one should go see this movie. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. preventing- so if we spoil it, fewer people will see it, yeah. right? That's the rationale. So we're warning you up top. We're warning you up top. Like, don't complain later and say, oh, I can't believe you spoiled me. We're warning you up top. If you don't want to hear spoilers for Rings, tune out. But uh, the, fa- the fact that we meticulously do spoiler warnings for every <laughs> single episode and don't do it for this movie should tell you something about Rings. So Man. that being said, why did we watch this movie? Uh, why are we talking about it? Uh, I, I think the reason is, I mean, The Ring is one of my favorite yes. horror films of all time. It's an amazing movie. It's very amazing. Good. Amazing movie. And, you know, Jeff, you were talking a couple episodes ago about how M. Night Shyamalan's early career uh, and The Sixth Sense was a cultural phenomenon. The Ring is a cultural phenomenon. 
Everyone sure. knows yeah. about the girl, you know, in the well with the hair and she's coming oh, yeah. out of your TV. She's like a character that you see at like a haunted house on Halloween. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's ubiquitous. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's become part. It's got it's got cultural relevance, y'all. It That's does. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It, it's not just American culture either, right? The idea of the ring from the Japanese version, like every uh, there, there's a, a Korean version of the ring too. Like there are different interpretations of this idea. So that's some um, supreme cultural relevancy too, because it's not just one thing everybody latched onto. It's like the concept has been replicated time and again. Which is I remember kind of yeah. watching that first ring and being mm-hmm. so amazed that they managed to take something as beautiful and loving as a pony yeah make it terrifying well like how do you ponies take are terrifying come on no pony every little kid wants a pony i mean you're a giant jeff so you may not feel this way but <laughs> horses are large terrifying animals yeah uh, dude you know what happens every time I, I meet a fan at at this happened just at south uh pack south <laughs> They're like, well, you're a lot smaller than I expected you to be. So when people say these things, it's like creates a false expectation. Anyway, um, yeah, I was always so I was so amazed. Like, I love the sort of level of difficulty that they went for. Is like, we're not going to just make something scary. We're going to take something that everybody universally adores and you know pines away for, like a, a lovely little pony, and make it scare you. And I just I have so much respect for that. Well, also, you know, this was uh, Gore Verbinski, I think, before he had made any of the Pirates films. um, And he proved himself to be, in my opinion, one of the best visual stylists of our time. I mean, Mm -hmm. just such a beautiful film. And he's he's the kind of guy, you know, like to to invoke Amadeus, the Miles Foreman film. He's the kind of guy that will use five shots when one shot is sufficient. Uh, and I love him for it because his movies yeah. are so beautiful. And everything and so, is me- meticulous. Yeah, so interesting to look to at. It, yeah. And I just think uh, The Ring really established him as a mm-hmm. as a major player in the genre of film you know, directing game. And but, one of the rare truly effective remakes, I think, too. Like I, In many ways, I like the remake of The Ring more than the Japanese version, Ringu, uh, which is a good film. It's a nice low-budget film, but uh, the American version does a lot more for me. Yeah. So, uh, also Naomi Watts, who was uh-huh. in the original The Ring. Uh, obviously, she's had a long and storied career now. But, I mean, she was just starting to take off when that movie came out. And mm-hmm. I think she's one of the most talented actresses alive today. Uh, and I, I'm a huge fan of her. And so, The Ring really had this confluence of, you know, yeah. J-Horror was just start- starting to come into its own in America. You know, this is around the time of The Grudge as well and all these other... Uh, Japanese horror movies we were remaking, and mm-hmm. uh, and then you have Gore Verbinski, you know, and uh, Naomi Watts, basically about to reach the height of their powers. A um, lot of great stuff leading into that movie. So now, over a decade later, you get Rings, which continues the story, and I guess Ring Two also continued the story. But yeah, Ring Two actually directly continued the story. So. Right, it wasn't a bad movie either. I liked Ring Two. Oh, Devendra's not a huge fan. It's not yeah. great, but it's not bad. So guys, great. I, I have not seen Ring 2. Does this movie, Rings, acknowledge <laughs> any of the events of Ring yes, 2? Yes, it, Ring 2, in a way, sets up this movie, the whole thing about Evelyn and Samara's uh, family and whatnot. So Ring 2, so here's the thing. Like, uh, Let's pull out a little. I, I'm a fan of this entire franchise and the whole Ring phenomenon, too. Like, Actually, at one point during college, I took a course that was all about like Japanese uh, supernatural films. Uh, we had some great professors at our school. It's kind of crazy. Um, but we talked about like the whole concept. And The Ring 2 is just interesting because they brought in the original Japanese director of Ringu, 
uh, to, to do that film. And it's a good-looking movie. The only problem is the script was terrible, and I didn't care about anything that happened in it. So it had the, none of what made The Ring great is in The Ring too. Gotcha. So then you got you got Rings, which is a movie, by the way. We should be say we should say that has been been bumped a couple of times. Like it was supposed to come out, I think, in 2015. Yeah. Then it was supposed to come out in fall of 2016, uh, and then now it's out in 2017. And by the way, uh, based on how this movie ended, Rings how how Rings ended, or at least the last act, uh, I, I've seen some speculation about why it's been bumped because uh-huh. it is very similar to another <laughs> film that came out in 2016, uh, the, <laughs> the ending of this movie. And maybe they, they wanted to put some space between the two films. It's similar um, to a couple of things. There are a couple yeah. sequences that are similar to other movies. Yeah, too. Just, just completely speculating. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So before, before we dive into this, this movie, I think, uh, one of the reviews that I really enjoyed reading about this was written by, uh, Aja Romano over at Vox.com. Uh, and she really <laughs> describes as well, Rings, uh, quote, quote, Rings opens in the weirdest way with three totally disparate opening sequences in a row, <laughs> two of which feel completely disconnected from both yep. each other and the rest of the film. We start with a scene in which the curse of the ring brings down an entire airplane. This scene is a campy romp that feels like it was cut from the most recent Final Destination and stuck onto the beginning of this one. It has only a threadbare connection to the rest of the film. Still, it establishes that our iconic ghost villain Samara is still stringy-haired, waterlogged, and evil. From there. And digital. From there, we meet two side characters at a flea market discussing an old VHS player. One of them, a biology professor named Gabriel, watches the creepy old VHS tape he finds after buying it, after, he witches, after which he witnesses a surreal upside-down rainstorm. Gorgeous and quiet, this scene ably sets the tone for the rest of the film, before it's immediately disrupted by yet a third, completely different opening, this one a garishly lit bedroom scene doing its best to channel a mid-2000s Nicholas Sparks movie. It's such a weird tonal whiplash that it takes a while to realize the movie has actually settled on the two lovebirds in this final scene as its plot drivers, end quote. <laughs> yeah. Really weird uh, weird opening, huh? It's kind of all over the place, yeah. Jeff Kanata, what uh, what'd you think of the opening of this film and the subsequent oh, David. Uh, um, so so you, you actually saw this movie in a condition that a lot of – or in a situation that a lot of us didn't have a chance to see it in, surrounded by middle schoolers. Right? I did. I did. I was shocked. Uh, I went to a screening that was – sometimes we get invited to these screenings that are actually uh, radio station award winner screenings. Yes. Um, and that uh, we could do a whole episode just about that experience in general uh, because it's one I've had very frequently. Yep. And um, it's unique. And if people haven't experienced it, whew. But <laughs> I was very surprised to see like – almost like felt like a field trip of kids being brought in <laughs> – just like, let's all go see the rings, kids. And like, okay, count off, go down the street. And they had like, you know, chaperones, and the kids were all very young looking. And I just thought, this is the weirdest situation <laughs> ever. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's it's not cool. Really it's re- cool, though. The movie's PG 13, so it doesn't really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. super cool, super cool, super cool. Um, <laughs> Said the guy who's like worried about the wrong kind of Batman being unleashed on kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the thing rings. Is a movie about? <laughs> is it a movie? Is it? It's, a, it's, a, it's a. It's an experience about extraordinarily bland people doing incredibly <laughs> stupid things. Yeah. I mean, these are the most bland people I've yep. seen in a movie. 
And it's I'm not saying bland actors. I'm saying on the page. Yeah. We all we know about them is that they sleep together. That is the <laughs> only thing we know about them. Yeah, but and they're yet, really this, in love, Jeff. They're really so in love. love. But, but so yeah, you compare love. that to uh, Naomi Watts' character's entrance in The Ring, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty fantastic entrance. She's like at a – or one of her entrances, she's at a school – uh, and you kind of see her behind uh, frosted glass, and she's like cussing out someone on the other end of the phone, and then walks into the room, and then her teacher's there, and like you know is, wants to talk with her about her son, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a great entrance that tells you a lot about that character, right? right. She's co- over concerned with work, probably not the greatest mom, you know. Like with with a thirty second scene, they've established so much about this character. Right. Uh, nothing none, none like that, that happens. Yeah, that happens all, in this movie. Literally, the only piece of information we get about them is that they they totally bone down. That's it. <laughs> totally. there's, there's no never any parents or other people in their family are around ever at any point. There is oh, well, the, the opening scene. The father's there. Drives him. To, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Picks him up with no shirt on, leaving his girlfriend's house. That's not weird. Um, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so here's the thing I want to say about this movie. Tell us. There was the, the original Ring came out in 2002, right? And it's a movie about a tape that if you mm-hmm. watch it, kills you. Yep. Okay. I'm with you so far. We are 15 years later from this movie. The world has completely changed. And how has it changed? What's the most important thing or not important but the most ubiquitous change that has happened in the world? We all watch screens way more often. We are mm-hmm. all constantly engaged in our screens. There was an incredible opportunity to take this concept of a, a thing you watch that kills you yep, and make it relevant to today and have so it much wasted s- potential. say something about mm-hmm. the culture that we live in and – and make it a horror movie that really is grounded in what's happening today, there is not yeah. even an attempt. <laughs> there is not even – they don't even make reference to that idea other than the fact that people can watch it on their computer in the movie. Well, the- you know, Jeff, in the age of social networking, the ghost has now learned how to email uh, video attachments. So <laughs> I guess. It's, it's a modern movie in that respect. But it's funny you bring all this up, Jeff, because – uh, it makes me think of a really great movie, The Ring. Uh, <laughs> there's that one scene where uh, Rachel's just like on her balcony and she's looking at the nearby apartment building. It's just everyone is staring at a TV. And like it's wordless. You know, it's just like 30 second thing. Uh, but that that in itself makes a commentary like about right. our culture and what we do. And that the movie, it was just like an aside thing. But it was also a deep theme of that original film. This movie doesn't doesn't know how to do any of that. Well, OK, it's guys. not even interested in doing that. Yeah. Not only that, but I would say the biggest thrust of what this movie even is and is about and the big mm-hmm. reveal about you know what we're – the adventure that our characters go on, the discoveries that they make has absolutely nothing to do yeah. with screen that you watch that kills people. Who cares? It is, it is cares? Not, not even about that at all. In fact, the movie is called Rings – which yep. arkens to aliens, which makes like which was a brilliant sequel. You take one alien, oh my god, what happens when there's multiples of them? Holy crap, that amps things up and changes things out. Why is this a plural? There is no plural plurality that happens. There's well, nothing. I think the idea is that there's like a lot of them watching the tape. Oh, okay, look, cycles let, of violence. Let me leap to the defense uh-huh. of this movie. 
for for like thirty seconds, and then I'm gonna let's go back to bashing it. Um, <laughs> Uh, th- this movie opens other than the three openings, right? Uh, Johnny Galecki's character Gabriel has has decided that the ring videotape is evidence of an afterlife and of a mm-hmm. soul, and like that that p- humans or creatures can exist beyond the confines of their uh, of their kind of biological flesh, corporeal. their physical flesh, corporeal right. flesh. That's what I mean. Um, and he's worked out a whole system to run like experimental trials on this thing. Yeah. There's Secret this whole underground club. Yeah, there's a, there's a club. And, and I don't know that I th- think that movie would have been good. You know, I don't know right. that I think yeah, a movie yeah. that. But if you gave a shit about that idea at all, but, but yeah, but if it would have been a movie, it would have right. been a thing. It would have been That's some a great concept. Yeah, it would have been a, 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 at least it would have been trying to do something. Like I would have respected the effort, at right? Least, right, like hundred uh, percent. I don't think I would have liked it. We would still probably be giving it a, a bad review, but I would have said, hey, at least it tried to do. It tried to take this idea of making these videotapes and, and showing them to people, and it, it, it basically it took it to its logical ex- extreme in a very fan fictiony campy way but right. still it, it was trying to do something new um, it abandons that idea as fast as it yeah. can like in 30 <laughs> minutes in that idea is gone and we're back to a retread of the ring where you're trying to find out more backstory about samara that no one gives a crap about yeah. uh in you know a very dark and scary environment because who cares like this is a horror movie without any horror without any compelling no characters horror. right there's no- yeah, there's not a single moment of tension in this entire movie. And I don't know how you can do that because they're, they're yeah, just, just have Samara pop up behind somebody. So, something like it, I, I'm thinking like uh, the uh, the other one I just saw, Sadako versus Kayako. Like actually, interestingly enough, like there are there's some thematic uh, similarities between these two movies. That one also deals with a college professor who's trying to figure out the afterlife using the ring videotape. And uh, there's also some like social networking stuff that comes in uh, towards the end there or Internet connection stuff but it does it in a way that's at least a little more interesting and the execution of the basic scares like how do you make a horror movie and just fail to scare people at every point I agree, it doesn't dude. know if it wants to be a final destination movie and even if it does every one of those sequences the plain thing it's fine it's terrible. i was more grossed out that it was like is that toilet water oh man toilet water is getting everywhere <laughs> don't want that um i so want to yeah, point the- out i want to point out a very specific thing that mm-hmm. i think points to how bad this movie is there the central hinge upon which the second act swings is and it's spoiled in that description that dave read at the beginning of the show is that our hero our female protagonist watches the ring of her own accord to save her boyfriend yeah in any competent screenwriter's version of that sequence of events there is tension leading up to her decision we understand that she is conflicted we feel for her there's a moment of crisis and she makes that decision against her own well-being in order to save her boyfriend the way it plays out in this movie (laughs) no one is in peril her boyfriend is completely fine. We barely know anything about their situation. She sits down at a computer for no reason, watches it. It is the most uninteresting way you could possibly convey a character putting themselves in peril. Jeff, it, it, it's a commentary on how disposable our entertainment is, don't you think? <laughs> it's true. I wish. <laughs> I wish. Uh, 
I could not believe. And she like gets up and she walks into the other room and he's like, wait, did you watch it? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were going to die. I, I told you it. not to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing. That's another moment that made me so angry. Every character in this movie behaves like they're in a horror movie from the beginning of the movie <laughs> rather than not thinking they're in a horror movie like any human being would. There's a sequence where our female protagonist goes to a – Goes to a room with a really hot-looking girl, and that hot-looking girl is like – and she's looking for her boyfriend, right? She's like looking for her boyfriend, and she goes to the room with this hot-looking girl, and the hot-looking girl goes, oh, I'll tell you where your boyfriend is. you got to watch this video. And she's like, oh, OK. Let's, let's <laughs> find right. it out. And then she gets a text message from her boyfriend that says, don't watch the video. And so how does she react? To tape? What's happening here? Any human being would think that it's a sex tape. Any human being would, would think, why does my boyfriend not want me, me to watch this video from this hot chick? But how does our protagonist react? She reacts like, oh, my God, it must be a horror video that will kill me if I watch it. There, no human being would react in the way she she's not curious about what the video is. She just blindly believes her missing boyfriend who texts her, don't watch the video. Like – it's, yeah. it, it defies yeah. all human behavior. Like you, yeah. you would think, especially in this day and age, and again, an opportunity for the film to actually say something about our culture, you would think, oh, she would react to that like, oh my god, did my boyfriend make a sex tape with this girl? Holy crap, I should watch this. Yeah. I want to find – but no. Even she, if she said it like jokingly, like just acknowledge the reality that anybody else you know, would have thought of in that situation. But yeah. Yeah. To me, the bigger problem, too, is like nothing in this movie matters. Like what made The Ring terrifying isn't the backstory of Samara, although I like the investigation parts. Uh, but The Ring 2 had this problem as well. It's like telling us more about the backstory is not furthering the story. It's just like removing the mystery. You know, it's it's explaining why things are happening and not telling me, like, why I should be scared. Well, in, and, in, in yeah. The Ring 1, you, you know, the relationship between uh, the Naomi Watts character and her son was mm -hmm. very uh, powerful, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think they want the relationship between the two leads in this film to be as potent, <laughs> but it just does not rise to that level. And I think that's largely um, uh, on a script level, but also I just – I think that uh, – Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz is is talented, but doesn't hold a candle to Naomi, Naomi Watts. Unfortunately, like just mm -hmm. isn't as convincing to me as a person in that situation as Naomi yeah. Watts was in a similar situation. They're they're all just basically cookie. They I mean they may be very very talented, but yeah. in this movie they appear as cookie cutter. They're like, ill used. You know, they're ill used in this movie. You were talking earlier about horror. You know, in the Slack filmcast at slackfilmcast.com, um, the uh, Justin was talking about this movie, Justin Kay, uh, was saying, things that scared me during this movie, a dog barking, an umbrella, a bird hitting a window, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, you probably would agree with that. You know, like, it, there weren't that many scares at all in this film, right? Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not even just scares. Like, the, the Ring and even Ringu, like, they are movies that exist in this, like, just constant state of tension in fear like we talked about what works for split right one thing Shyamalan always does really well he knows tension he knows how to build it up and he knows like the how to play us you know he plays it like an instrument and he knows how to make it work really well this movie like is just event after event and this thing happened and that person's dead and yeah I, I none of it there was no flow to anything that happened in this movie really and all they care about 
is Sumara and sort of like re, you know, reinvigorating this IP. That's all yeah. they care about rather than yeah. actually creating something interesting that could have actually ha- commented on our modern culture. Like what if, what if you know, the, the um, professor character finds this tape and then because we're in a media culture where we're in the digital age where anybody can edit video, what if they just deconstruct what it is about this video that, that uh, can kill people and then you can embed that in, and then you have the pluralization of ring – that actually means something. So like you can any, weaponize yeah. it or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or Although, the, to be fair, the ending of the film does kind of do that, right? Yeah. The, 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 last, the, the last 30 seconds of the movie does God. kind of do that. Right? Um, yeah. But so uh, bad. I, I, here's, I guess here's my, my, main, my main beef with Rings. You guys have said a lot of things mm-hmm. you don't like about it. But my, ba- my main beef is that The Ring, in my opinion, was such a special movie and – the, she was watching this thing, right? She watched this videotape, mm-hmm. and then um, found all of the images in the videotape. Like the the videotape was specific to her, right? Uh, it was specific. You know, she she watched this these crazy images, and then went and like lived out those images. She she found mm-hmm. those images in real life, like the horse getting pulled under the water. That actually right. happened, and that was in the video. You know, uh, and. So it, for me, it was always bizarre that the videotape would have power beyond the scope of that particular story. So mm-hmm. that they were even that the that the images are even scary today. It, like it's just not scary. Like I, watching yeah. the videotape today, it's not nearly as scary because it's, it's decades later. It's yeah. The I think the creepiest things in this movie are all of the footage from Gore Verbinski's The Ring. And how does that work, by the way? Right? Do you get credit for that? Like basically setting the tone for the series, creating that short film. Uh, all the shots of uh, of Samara's parents and young Samara as well are in here. Yeah, it, uh, I didn't really see his name in any in any other capacity in this film. Uh, yeah, I don't think he was involved yeah. in this at all. But uh, yeah, yeah. The, but it's like, how do you? That's they took your movie and they like shit on it. Oh and well, already, well, when yeah, when he makes right. a movie for the studio, it becomes basically their problem. I know, you know I so. know, I know. It's so, just one of those things. That's yeah, rough. So, but uh, also like the act of duplicating a videotape mm-hmm. was. More powerful back then, you know. It, um, you could it, feel it. Well, it's, you could you could physically feel it. Yeah, uh, and it, it was also not super easy to do. You know, you couldn't. It's just not the same impact when you can right click and duplicate in Mac OS X uh-huh. to make a copy of it. But you know were what you I mean? scared when that seven seven error popped up, Dave? And yeah, Falcon yeah. Copied. The and then this whole nonsense about a video within a video, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's the file size so is bigger. Guys. Cutting edge, cutting edge video embedding technology that uh, <laughs> we apparently don't size. have. Today. Do you guys ever think about Sumara like sitting around in the afterlife and uh, somebody watches it? She's like, oh, shit, I gotta make, I gotta make a call. Well, hang on a second, I gotta make a call. I, every time they watch, I have to call them. That'd and be it's a good really, short video. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then and then at the end, like when we see that Stranger Things guys. When at the end, when when like thousands of people are watching the video at once, she's like, "Ah, shit! I got to make so many calls." <laughs> oh man, my my week my weekend just got ruined. Uh, yeah. What's really sad about this is that um, yeah, I haven't seen anything else by this director, but I did recently see uh, Uja Origin of Evil, the second 
movie in that franchise. We, and, we, uh, Ouija, I believe, is Ouija, how it's pronounced whatever. in the United uh, States. But Mike Flanagan, a guy who, you know, we've been following him for a while. Uh, Hush, he directed Oculus as well, but I really liked Hush. He he is a stylist director. He knows what he's doing. And that movie has is better than, you know, it should be, than any right that it should be. Uh, I kind I, of I've, heard, I've heard Ouija Origin of Evil is great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a I, lot of fun. It's, it's a movie that scary. didn't do very well, I think, because yeah. the first Ouija movie... Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, no. It did. It did okay. It did okay. It made eighty-one million dollars off a but budget of nine million. It's based on a board game. It's based That's on a board all. game, yeah. And it has That's one of the most effective game. trailers I've seen. Like, I had no desire to see Ouija Origin of Evil, and then I watched the trailer, and I thought, oh my gosh, that actually looks pretty good. Uh, so that's another a better horror film you're saying, Devinder. A better makes. horror sequel that you probably wouldn't expect to be good. Uh, yeah, just go, just go watch that. Don't watch this. It's a, it's just a shame because it's. I think the ring concept in the franchise. There's so much they could have done with it. Like you're saying, Jeff. Like let's let's make it te- let's let's make it modern. Let's bring it to you know the world where we have screens everywhere. There are so many ways to make that genuinely scary. And yeah, this movie's just not interested in that at all. And, uh, yeah, I do want to say one more thing, too. Uh, Dave, this was not my decision. I saw a certain (laughs) tweet that laid the entire blame of us talking about this movie on me. Uh, I do want to say we brought it up. uh, I brought it up to you, I think, but we decided on it together. So I'm not going to take full blame for this. Oh, I just uh, want to see how terrible it it is. (laughs) This is why you have to watch trailers, Jeff. You You have to tell us no. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you, like, by by our agreeing to do it, we are also at fault. You know, like, I'm not <laughs> saying you are solely at fault. That, um, I read your tweet, sir. <laughs> and I just, I just want to make this clear to our listeners and to the world at large. There's no was, fault to go around. It was not to me. Yeah, there's, there's, there, there's fault to go around. You know, I... I I mean, do you deny being interested in rings? Yeah, vaguely interested. But if yeah. both of you guys were like, no. Then we would have reviewed something else. It's true. It's true. That's exactly right, Devendra. If both of us had said no, we could have stopped this tragedy from happening. Just like the ring. This is a curse. I'll be glad we aren't seeing Fifty Shades Darker. So let's just we can count our blessings there. Indeed, indeed. Uh, (laughs) But but the 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 real crime I think for this movie is that it's not even so bad that it's good. Like it's just just bland and terrible. Yeah. Uh, There's a joy in bad horror movies there's no joy in this movie yeah i don't know guys i've been trying to advocate for a lot of movies to be in the so bad it's good category uh in the last year or so and you guys have just said told me it's they're so bad you know like the accountant i would say is so bad it's good oh i mean it may be good to you you may enjoy aspects of it sure that's fine. That's so, that's your personal taste. I can't I can't imagine somebody really enjoying this movie. Yeah, uh, nor nor can I. This also has one of the worst Vincent D'Onofrio performances I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, it feels like he is is doing each of these like line yeah. readings in one take. Uh, yeah. is what it felt like. Yeah, it, it, you love how it turns into "Don't Breathe" at one point. Yeah, it's it's it becomes "Don't Breathe" except a much worse version of it. <laughs> uh, Way worse. It's like a worse version of The Ring and then a worse version of Don't Breathe. And then kind of a worse version of Blair Witch, I oh, guess, depending on what Okay, yeah, and then yeah. here we go. Just everybody, I'm going to spoil the end of this movie. So, yeah. so here we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Actually kind of a cool idea that he uh-huh. blinded himself so that her ma- evil wizardry couldn't affect him. How does that get resolved, guys? She <laughs> just overcomes it. She magically she just she just makes him see like what well you see her bones were uncovered jeff therefore her full supernatural power was uh-huh. revealed at that uh-huh. point you know yeah. so yeah. even though he was blind she uh 
unblinds him so that he can see her, which she couldn't do until the bones were unturned. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's bad. And then she's a ghost who makes phone calls. Jeff. And then, Let's oh, by the way, <laughs> they set her free by lighting her on fire. But just yep. as in the first movie, when you set her free, <laughs> worse things happen. And I, I didn't understand why she was so hell bent on helping her. Like in the first movie, you can kind of understand, right? You felt sorry for this girl. Well, in the first movie, who, she's a journalist. Like she's yeah, trying she's to journalist. uncover the truth behind this crazy mm-hmm. story. You know? And a girl who was basically killed by her parents and abused and, you know, just that you felt sorry for Samara in that movie. This one, it's like, what? What? She just she just blew up a plane. And, like, I, I do not get the sympathy even for for Samara at this point. Guys, right? guys so she, yeah. you know, Devinger, you just reminded me. We, we're, we're forgetting the best part of the movie, guys. Okay. Okay. The best part of the movie. Firstly... I'm obviously being sarcastic when I say that, but um, <laughs> there is there is a legitimately good shot when the camera kind of rotates 360 degrees around the main character, and then uh-huh. she's in that kind of dungeon that the priest kept her in for nine months, and then the sure. the dungeon kind of like reassembles itself before your eyes. That's a legitimately good spe- uh, visual effect. In my I opinion. like the upside down rain thing. There's some genuinely yeah. cool shots. You just the upside down rain was also good. Okay. Yeah. But we are forgetting to mention the best part of the movie, which is when she goes and sees all this writing that's been scratched out of the wall, right? And the the person is counting down how many days they've been there. And she's like, you know, 440 days or whatever the hell it is. Like, that's eight and a half months. This person was pregnant with Samara. And then, like, dun, dun, dun. you know, move flashlight over to right side. <laughs> and the person has written possible names for her baby on the wall. Right, Sarah? Question mark. <laughs> Sally? Question mark. Nope. Sam? So, Sam? Question. Well, nope. Samara? No. Exclamation Guys, point. Underline. As the only person here who actually has had a kid, that's exactly <laughs> how we did it. That's exactly how we came to the names. I, I can you, imagine. But you weren't. Yeah. You weren't in the dungeon, Jeff. Like, <laughs> you weren't in the dungeon, scratching it out with like a piece of porcelain that you broke off the toilet or something. Yeah. But like um, Samara, it rolls off the tongue. It also evokes the idea of samsara and eternal, you know, uh, eternal curse or something, or something that just goes around and around. And I think that'll be uh, appropriate for my daughter. She knew it back then. <laughs> it's just, it's just funny because they felt the need to spell out that this yeah. was the person. Like that was how they spelled out that this was that person's daughter. <laughs> was they were writing permutations of their name on the wall in the dungeon? It's absolutely yeah. re- like ludicrous. Anyway. <laughs> Rings is a bad film. It should not be seen. And uh, it looks like, you know, uh, it, w- it was announced yesterday that they are, uh, Paramount is pulling Friday the 13th from their schedule this year. They were doing another uh-huh. Friday the 13th remake. Um, they're pulling it from the schedule. Uh, I-, I think largely because the movie has not started shooting yet, as far as I know. <laughs> but certainly, like, some people are speculating, oh, Rings did not that well. Uh-huh. And so that's why they're not doing Friday the 13th. And I've heard good things about that first Friday the 13th re- remake. Reboot, I think, I think reboot. we reviewed it on the podcast. If oh, yeah. I wasn't here for that. But oh, yes. yeah. Well, I think so. in any case, um, yeah, it was, it was okay. It was, not, mm-hmm. it was not horrible. But uh, Paramount and horror films, not a good mix so far <laughs> this year. Uh, and that's unfortunate. In any case, yeah. stay tuned here. We'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled two N's and one T. And I have a couple other shows that you can enjoy, including a video game show called Five, excuse me, called <laughs> DLC. 
It's at 5by5.tv slash DLC. We had Chris Plant from uh, The Verge on this week. Good, good episode. And uh, I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? Oh, I'm at Devendra on Twitter, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. I just re- relaunched my blog, and uh, I have a new podcast with Joanna Robinson called Gen Pop. Find that at genpopshow.com. Uh, this week we talk about 24 Legacy, and we have uh, a pretty awesome guest on this show. So I'd recommend you check it out. Again, genpopshow.com. Uh, music for our podcast comes courtesy of adamwarrock.com. He writes our theme song. Simon M. Harris does our uh, slash film court theme. And uh, Kyle Hillinger does our spoiler bumper. Uh, we didn't use slash film court or spoiler this week, but uh, I'm going to give a shout out to them anyway. And next week, we're going to be reviewing John Wick Chapter 2. Really looking forward to that. Um, we're also hopefully going to try to get a bonus episode uh, for some of the Academy Award-nominated films this year, like Lion and uh, I Am Not Your Negro. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to get that together. If not, it'll be in what we've been watching. Uh, so, yeah, stay tuned for more stuff coming from the Slash Filmcast this month. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FILMCAST35 to save $35 off your first... You know, there's a freaking siren going on in the background. So just yeah. And also, also, I forgot to hit the start streaming button, so... Yeah, I was like, you're still <laughs> offline according to my thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Wait till that siren passes. Wait till that siren passes. <sighs> Okay. So say we all.